We are in this series called The Story of David, and today we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 25. You know, whenever I was in first grade, I remember getting from my teacher, all of the boys and girls received from our teacher, a ruler. And on the ruler was printed the golden rule. And it was the first time I'd heard the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Some of you are familiar with the golden rule. Even if you're not a Christ follower, you're familiar with the golden rule. As a matter of fact, even if you're not a Christ follower, the golden rule is a golden rule to live by. That you should treat others the way you would want to be treated. And as I was a first grader looking at my ruler, listening to her talk about the golden rule and how we should interact with each other in her class, I thought, even then, that makes sense. And my family at that point were not church-going people, but even in the first grade, I knew that made sense. That sounds right. Treat other people the way you would want to be treated. It's logical, but it's not natural. I'll just be honest with you, it didn't take me long, even as a first grader, to realize living by the golden rule is not always so easy. It's one thing whenever the other person has treated you well, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But when they've done you wrong, golden rule gets thrown out the window. Now it's no longer do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Now it's do to them what they did to you. And, and do it harder if you have to. Uh, step it up a notch if you have to. They hurt you, hurt them. Get them back. Pay back. Get even with the person who has done you wrong. That is natural to me. I don't know if that's natural to you or not, but that's not not so easy, in fact, to live by the golden rule. In fact, getting even is easy. That's what's easy. You don't have to think about getting even. Just let your emotions control you. Just do whatever comes right into your mind to get back at them. Just pay them back. That's easy. But living by that rule, that standard of Jesus who gave us the golden rule, do to others as you would have them do to you, is not always easy. In fact, it's going to take some help from God for us to do that very well. Because our natural tendency is to pay people back. Now, the problem with payback is the blowback. You see, when you get even, you become like the person you don't even like. Have you ever thought about that? The problem with payback is the blowback that when you get even with the person, what's really happened is you have become like the person you don't even like. They were mean and rude and nasty, so you paid them back and you became mean and rude and nasty. In fact, we sometimes say that, I stooped to their level. We become like the person we don't even like when we try to pay people back. There has to be a better way than this. And we're going to see that we're not the only people to struggle with this. Even David, whom we are studying uh, this month in June, and we'll go ahead and finish out in July. Even David, the Bible calls a man after God's own heart, struggled with this tendency to want to get even with people who had done him wrong. Here in 1 Samuel chapter 25, we find David still tentatively hiding from Saul, who is the present king of Israel. Saul and David have come to this tentative truce. So Saul has gone back to Jerusalem, has sworn that he won't kill David. But David's not too sure because he knows Saul has temper tantrums and has made promises like that before. 
So Saul is, so David is still hiding away from Saul out in the wilderness. And an incident happens where David is tempted to pay someone back for the wrong they've done to David. He's tempted to get even with them. And in doing so, David is this close to becoming like the person he doesn't even like. And we have that same tendency. And then we're going to see today in this passage how someone intervened and helped David realize there's a better way to live. 1 Samuel chapter 25, verse 1. Now Samuel died. Remember, that was the prophet that, who anointed David to be the future king. So now Samuel died and all Israel gathered for his funeral. They buried him at his house in Ramah. Then David moved down to the wilderness in Maon. There was a wealthy man from Maon who owned property near the town of Carmel. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. Now that doesn't sound very impressive to us in our modern society. But as my grandmother from South Georgia, Ella Mae Johnson, would say, he was filthy rich. This guy is wealthy. This guy is one of the most wealthy people in the region because he owns such huge flocks of sheep and goats. So he owns 3,000 sheep, 1,000 goats, and it was sheep shearing time. There again, that doesn't sound very exciting to us. But what that meant for him, that payday is just around the corner. That he has raised these sheep all these months and now he gets to have his servants shear the sheep and then take the wool to the market and sell the wool. He's about to reap a great income from his investment. He's going to be richer. He's going to be able to pay his servants. Life is good. This is an exciting time. Growing up in South Georgia, like I did, it was not uncommon for us to have to work in the summers cropping tobacco. And the farmer looked forward to harvest time, crop tobacco, hang it, and then once it's dry, you take it to the market, and that's payday for that farmer. He's put it off, and he's got all these bills he needs to pay, and he's got the servants he needs to pay. Now market time is coming, and if he has a good crop, there's going to be some money to go around. It's going to be party time. And this guy is nearing sheep shearing time. Say that ten times fast. Verse 3, the man's name was Nabal. And his wife Abigail was a sensible and beautiful woman. But Nabal, a descendant of Caleb, was crude and mean in all his dealings. Nabal in Hebrew means fool, foolish. Psalm 14, 1, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The word fool in Psalm 14, 1 is Nabal. And this guy's name meant fool. His mom, she looked, took one look at him when he was born, and that was the best she could come up with, I guess. And so he's got a beautiful wife. She is sensible. She is thoughtful. She is wise. People look up to her, but she is married to a foolish man who is cruel. More than likely, these two are together because of an arranged marriage. In that day, two families would arrange a marriage between their children. Abigail probably didn't have much of a choice in this matter to be married to a fool. And all the women said, Amen. Amen. <laughs> Bless her heart. Look at, verse, look at verse 4. When David heard that Nabal was shearing his sheep, 
he sent ten of his young men to Carmel with this message for Nabal. Peace and prosperity to you, your family, and everything you own. I am told that it is sheep shearing time. While your shepherds stayed among us near Carmel, we never harmed them. And nothing was ever stolen from them. Verse 8, ask your own men and they will tell you this is true. So, would you be kind to us since we have come at a time of celebration? Please share any provisions you might have on hand with us and with your friend, David. Now, now think about this. David sends his men to Nabal to say, you know, we've been camping out here in the wilderness near Carmel. And we've been among your shepherds, and we've been among the sheep and the goats. And this whole time we've been out here, we have not defrauded you. We have not stolen from you. We have not harmed your people. In fact, just the opposite. We've tried to be a help. Uh, we're here uh, as men of peace. We come as your friend, but we're kind of running out of supplies. We're, we're kind of in desperate conditions here. And we know this is a great time for you. And we were just wondering if out of the overflow of your income, if there's anything that you could spare to help your friend and his men. Verse 9, David's young men gave this message to Nabal in David's name. And they waited for a reply. Now by this time, David was famous all through the land of Israel. People have heard the stories of David killing uh, the Philistine, Philistine giant Goliath, and they've, they've sung songs about him, the women have, that Saul killed his thousands, David's killed his ten thousands. David's been victorious in battle for Israel. People also have heard about how David has been loyal to the king, even though King Saul is after David to kill him. So David is well known throughout the land, and so they come in David's name, the man after God's own heart, the man that God is blessing. Verse 10, notice how Nabal responds. Who is this fellow David? Nabal sneered to the young men. Now, it's not that he doesn't know who David is. Notice this next question. Who does this son of Jesse think he is? He knew full well who David was. What he's doing is he is demeaning David. He is criticizing David. Nabal has taken sides with Saul, the king whom God has rejected, and he's rejected David the king whom God has chosen. Who does this son of Jesse think he is? There are a lot of servants these days who run away from their masters. Verse 11, should I take my bread and my water and my meat that I've slaughtered for my shears and give it to a band of outlaws who come from who knows where? Nabal is absolutely indignant Many Hebrew scholars say that whenever you look at the language of Nabal, that he is actually cursing David. It's a pretty colorful language that he is using to say no. But he uses more flowery language than just no, I will not help David. In verse 12, so David's young men returned and told him what Nabal had said. <laughs> look at David's response. Get your swords. As David then straps on his own sword. David hears how Nabal has just absolutely said no in such an ungodly way. David says, get your weapons, people are going to die now. I've had it. David is this close to bloodshed. So, so David says, 
get your swords. Then 400 men started off with David and 200 remained behind to guard their equipment. David's not joking. David's not kidding around here. David is ready to shed some blood because of the way Nabal has shown evil to David. And I think, I think you need to see beyond Nabal to Saul. Why is David so furious at Nabal? It's because he has become so frustrated over the last 8 to 10 years running from Saul. On two major occasions, David has had the opportunity to kill King Saul. And to his men's chagrin, on both occasions, David has refused to kill the anointed king of Israel, Saul. David says, God forbids it. Saul is still God's anointed king for the nation at this time. I'm going to trust God to judge righteously between me and Saul. I'm not going to do this. But after eight to ten years of living in frustration, living in fear, living in the wilderness, not knowing if you're going to live to see another day, David has had it up to here with people who mistreat him, and he is going to take it out on Nabal. Sometimes you've heard the phrase, hurt people, hurt people. And David is hurt, and he is about ready to hurt some people. And you know what that's like, don't you? Things aren't going so well at home, so you take it out on the co-workers at the office. Or things aren't going so well at the office, and you come home and take it out on your spouse or your children. Or things aren't going so well in your life, so you come here and you make everybody else miserable at church. Maybe you're sick, physically sick, and you're tired, and someone who wants to come help you, you snap at them, you're impatient with them, you say things that you later regret and the problem is you're just sick and tired of being sick and tired and you just took it out on people that you really didn't mean to take it out on and I think that's what's going on here with David I can relate to that can anybody else here relate to David I'm not making excuses for him but I am saying I can relate David is about to retaliate and there's going to be a decision that he makes if he is not careful that he will live to regret. 1 Samuel chapter 25, verse 14. Meanwhile, I love this. They need to make this a movie. You know? So in this point now, the scene fades out with David and his swords uh, on their horses, 400 men riding out. Somebody's about to die. And then the, the, the next scene opens up and we see this. Meanwhile, one of Nabal's servants went to Abigail and told her, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, but he screamed insults at them. These men have been very good to us, and we never suffered any harm from them. Nothing was stolen from us the whole time they were with us. Verse 16. In fact, the day and night, they were like a wall of protection to us and the sheep. Verse 17, you need to know this and figure out what to do. For there's going to be trouble for our master and his whole family. He's so ill-tempered. He's talking about uh, Nabal here. He's so ill-tempered that no one can even talk to him. The servant says to Abigail, you're the only one who can reason with that fool. You're the only one who can maybe talk some sense into him. Abigail knows her husband well. 
She's not convinced that she can talk sense into her ill-tempered husband. So notice how she responds. Verse 18, Abigail wasted no time. She quickly gathered 200 loaves of bread, two wineskins full of wine, five sheep that had been slaughtered, nearly a bushel of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins, and 200 fig cakes. She packed them on donkeys. Verse 19, and said to her servants, Go on ahead, I will follow you shortly. But she didn't tell her husband, Nabal, what she was doing. Verse 20, As she was riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, she saw David and his men coming toward her. David had just been saying, A lot of good it did to help this fellow. We protected his flocks in the wilderness, and nothing he owned was lost or stolen, but he has repaid me evil for good. Underline that phrase. That's why he's mad. He was good to Nabal, and Nabal has returned evil for good. Verse 22, David says, May God strike me and kill me if even one man of his household is still alive tomorrow morning. David is on a mission of payback. He's going to pay Nabal back for the evil that Nabal has done to David. David did good and only got evil in return. Well, I'm going to give you evil if that's the way you want to play this game. So if they're going to make the movie, maybe they'll call it Payback 2 or something like that. And I think maybe Abigail heard this. She sees David before David sees her on this mountain pass. In verse 23, when Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed before him. This isn't fear. I don't believe she's afraid of David at this point. I believe she's showing David respect even though David is not acting respectful. She sees the best in David. She's heard the stories about David's goodness and she sees that potential and she wants to bring out the best in David. So rather than escalating the situation, she de-escalates the situation by showing David great respect and great deference. By the way, I'm glad there are people who have been in my life, and you probably are glad there have been people in your life who in this moment of crisis de-escalated the situation, helped you to think reasonably about the situation. Look at verse 24. She fell at his feet and said, I accept all blame in this matter, my Lord. Please listen to what I have to say. I know Nabal is a wicked and ill-tempered man, Please don't pay any attention to him. He is a fool, just as his name suggests. But I never even saw the young men you sent. She's, she's saying, listen, David, if I, had, if I had heard this is what you wanted, I would have made sure that you and your men were taken care of and repaid for your goodness. But I didn't know anything about what happened between you and my ill-tempered, foolish, evil husband. Look at verse 26. Now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, since the Lord has kept you from murdering and taking vengeance into your own hands, let all your enemies and those who try to harm you be as cursed as Nabal is. Now think about this. She's speaking to David in the past tense. David, since God lives and you live, and since God has kept you from murder and revenge, 
David's saying, no, 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 I'm not done. You're just in my way. No, no, since God has kept you from murder and revenge, she's seen the best in him, and she's appealing to his good heart. David, I know the kind of man you are. This is not who you are. I know you're capable of better than this. Women, we men have figured that out, by the way. That sometimes you stroke our ego and you speak the best into us because you know you're going to get a response. I figured out my wife, she'll say, I bet you could take that garbage to the road with one arm. You're so strong. I'm going, yeah, I can. I I can take both these cans. You watch. Carry this to the road. And I know what she's doing when she does that. And I fall for it every time. Bet you could get those Christmas decorations back up there in no time. You're so strong. I married a strong man. Yeah, yeah, I can do that. And I get finished thinking, wait, wait a minute. I think she had an agenda. And I think Abigail knows that David is better than he's acting at this point. And she says to him, I see good in you. You're not that kind of person. Verse 27. And here's a present that I, your servant, have brought to you and your young men. All that stuff she gathered together, the wine and the cakes and all the the food and the meat, it's not enough to take care of David's men, but it is a goodwill gesture to David. I know my husband returned evil for your good to us, but I'm returning good for the evil you intend to do to us. Wow. Abigail says, you're on a mission to kill my husband and my family. You intend evil against me, murder and vengeance. But here are these gifts. I choose to return good for the evil my husband has done, and I choose to return good for the evil you intend to do. What a woman. Look at uh, verse 20, uh, wherever I am. Look at verse 28. It says, please forgive me if I have offended you in any way. The Lord will surely reward you with a lasting dynasty, for you are fighting the Lord's battles. I love that. She, she reminds him, you're, you're accountable to the Lord here. Is this, is this really how the Lord wants you to live your life? You're fighting the Lord's battles, and you have not done wrong throughout your entire life. Do you really want to blow it now? I think she's asking Verse 29, even when you are chased by those who will seek you, your life is safe in the care of the Lord your God, secure in his treasure pouch. It's an interesting Hebrew phrase there. It speaks of of a treasure pouch. It speaks of a wallet where treasures are, are safely guarded. It could speak of a purse. That's another thing I hate is when Donna says, can you get such and such out of my purse? Do not make me go into that purse. I can never find anything in a woman's purse. I mean, it is just a deep well of mystery. I don't know what all is in there. How do you get one more thing? I just bring it to her. So here, here's the purse. Just find whatever you're looking for. And, and this phrase is saying, David, you're safe in God's care. God's watching you. Nabal or your enemies cannot get to you. Notice what else she says in verse 29. But the lives of your enemies 
will disappear like stones shot from a, what's the word? Sling. And don't you know, as soon as she says that, David, one day your enemies are going to be shot so far from you, just like a stone shot from a sling, that his mind goes back to that day he marched out on that battlefield to face a giant with nothing but his faith in God, a slingshot in five smooth stones, and how God gave him the victory. And it's, it's Abigail's way of saying, that's the David I know. That's the David you are. That's the good I see in you. Don't you want to be that David? Maybe she could have asked him, David, don't you want to be that guy in this moment? Notice what else she says. Verses 30 and 31. When the Lord has done all he promised and has made you leader of Israel, don't let this be a blemish on your record. Then your conscience won't have to bear the staggering burden of needless bloodshed and vengeance. And when the Lord has done these great things for you, please remember me, your servant. David, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. I think Abigail is saying, David, what will your conscience say when you look back on this day? David, what do you want your conscience to say when you look back on this day? Do you want your conscience to say the reason and the way you became king is you started out good trusting God, but the longer it went before you took the throne, you took matters into your own hands. And whoever stood in your way, you struck them down. Whoever stood in your way, you took vengeance on them. Whoever hurt you, you hurt them back even more. And you will live with regret for the rest of your days. David, can you live without regret tomorrow if you live with this revenge today? And I think that's a good question for all of us to ask ourselves. Can I live without regret tomorrow if I live with revenge today? I don't know about you, but I don't want my future conversations with myself or with others to be something like this. I wish I had never said that. I wish I had never sent that email. I wish I had never mistreated that person. I wish I had never paid them back. I wish I had never stooped to their level. I am so sorry that I did those things. I'm so sorry I said those things. I don't want to have that on my conscience. I would rather say, you know, it was hard. And what was done to me was wrong, but I had to trust God. And I refused to return evil for good. Instead, I tried to choose good over evil. 1 Samuel chapter 25, verse 32, David replied to Abigail, Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you to meet me today. Thank God for your good sense. Bless you for keeping me from murder and from carrying out vengeance with my own hands. For I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, who has kept me from hurting you, that if you had not hurried out to meet me, not one of Nabal's men would still be alive tomorrow morning. Then David accepted her present and told her, Return home in peace. I've heard what you said. We will not kill your husband. When Abigail arrived home, she found that Nabal was throwing a big party and was celebrating like a king. He was very drunk, so she didn't tell him anything about her meeting with David until dawn the next day. Verse 37, 
In the morning when Nabal was sober, his wife told him what had happened. As a result, he had a stroke and he lay paralyzed on his bed like a stone. Verse 38, about 10 days later, the Lord struck him and he died. The next morning when he was sober, she went in and told him, you were this close to death at the hands of David and his men, but I intervened for you. And it dawned on Nabal how close he was, no pun intended, it dawned on Nabal how close he was to death and how he had mistreated the future king of Israel, the one whom God said was a man after his own heart. And he was so overcome with both guilt and grief, but also the judgment of God for his evil, that he had a stroke. And a few days later, he died. Verse 39, when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Praise the Lord who has avenged the insult I received from Nabal and has kept me from doing it myself. Nabal has received the punishment for his sin. Then David sent messengers to Abigail to ask her to become his wife. <laughs> I could use somebody like you on my team. I want that kind of wife. Look at verse 40. He said, uh, it says, when the messengers arrived at Carmel, they told Abigail, David has sent us to take you back to marry him. She bowed down to the ground and responded, I, your servant, would be happy to marry David. I would even be willing to become a slave washing the feet of his servants. She said, anybody going to be better than the one I just had? Uh, Verse 42, quickly getting ready. <laughs> She's in a hurry. Quickly getting ready, she took along five of her servant girls as attendants, mounted her donkey, and went with David's messengers. And so she became his wife. The end. They lived happily ever after. Not really. Because you, <laughs> women, if you are one of his wives, you don't live happily ever after. Uh, God never endorsed polygamy. Uh, his original design was one man for one woman for life. Uh, but David... Wasn't perfect. Did I ever mention that? He wasn't perfect. But did you see the three characters in our story today? Nabal, David, and Abigail. Nabal returned evil for good. David was ready to return evil for evil. But Abigail returned good for evil. Good for the evil her husband had done to David and good for the evil David intended to do to her husband. Someone said, Nabal is maniacal, David is predictable, but Abigail, she is remarkable. That stands out, doesn't it? In a world that the natural response is to get even and to pay people back. And listen, if you're not a Christ follower, the golden rule is a good rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You won't live to regret that. But for those of us who are followers of Jesus as our Savior and our Lord, this is not an option. This is his command to us. This is how he expects us to live. Not in our own strength, but in his strength, following his example. Many centuries later, one of the followers of Jesus named Peter as an old man would write a letter, we call it First Peter, but it's really one of the first of two letters that we had that he wrote that we put copies of uh, in, the, in the book we call the Bible. And in First Peter chapter 3, verses 9 through 11, Peter says, Don't repay evil for evil. 
Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do. And He will grant you His blessing. For the Scriptures say, now He's quoting. He's quoting from the Old Testament book of Psalms. Psalm 34. Guess who wrote Psalm 34? David. So He's quoting David. For as the scriptures say, if you want to enjoy life, how many here want to enjoy life? You want to enjoy life? Good. So if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, who wants many happy days? Keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Verse 11, turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. You want a good life? You want a happy life? This is how you do it. You live a remarkable life by not returning evil for evil, but returning good for evil. David eventually learned this lesson and even recorded it in one of his psalms. But the greatest one who ever said this is how we are to live is Jesus. Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 and following, Jesus said, You have heard the law that says, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies. You say, how can I do good for evil? Well, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For He gives His sunlight to both the evil and the good. And He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. Jesus says the problem in the equation of doing good is not doing good to those who've done good to you. The hang-up in this equation is how do I treat people who have done evil to me? And Jesus says, look at your heavenly Father. It's His rain. It's His sunshine. But He sends it and gives it to good and evil people. Be like your Father. Anybody can do good to those who do good to you. But if this world's ever going to know that we are the followers of Jesus and that God is our Father in heaven, then they need to see in us returning good for evil. Here's some questions that you ought to ask yourself. I love these questions. Question one, do I even want to act like the person I don't even like? Before you pay someone back, before you seek to get even, before you send out that tweet, before you post that on social media, before you say those words out of anger, Before you fly off the handle and just fire someone at the office, you might want to ask yourself the question about this person who's done you wrong. Do I even want to act like the person I don't even like? Do I want to stoop to their level? Do I want to exhibit the same characteristics and qualities that they do? And I don't know about you, but no, I don't. I want to be better than that. Question two, and I love this, Andy Stanley's question. He's been very helpful in my thinking on 1 Samuel 25, and that is, what story do I want to tell when this is just a story I tell? I love that question, by the way. This, this applies for every decision we make in life. What story do I want to tell when this is just a story I tell? David, do you want to look back on your life and say, yeah, I became king because I lost faith in God and took matters into my own hands and I paid people back for the evil they did? Or do you want to tell the story, it was hard, I wasn't perfect, but God was faithful? And what story do you want to tell to your family one day? What story do you want to tell to your children, to your grandchildren? 
What story do you want to tell to yourself when you're on your deathbed about your life? Do you want to tell a story filled with regrets and anger and bitterness and hostility and insults and judgmentalism? Or do you want to tell a story that says, I wasn't perfect. I made a lot of mistakes. But I tried to live a life that was good. I tried to treat people good. After all, it's how my Heavenly Father treats me even though I'm sinful. And I just decided I'm going to take some of that grace He gave me and I'm just going to spread it around and give it to other people. Question three, what does the golden rule require from me to you? Third question, what does the golden rule require from me to you? To you, my ex-spouse. To you, my ex-coworker. To you, the church member that got mad and lied and left. To you, the neighbor that put his fence on your property. To, to you, that person who's done you wrong. What does the golden rule require from me to you? And the golden rule says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So when people wrong me, here's what I want. I want them to be loving and patient and understanding and forgiving. I want them to remember 1 Corinthians 13, love keeps no record of wrongs. Let's don't talk about this again after today. That there was a, there was a reason, I'm not making excuses, but there was a reason I did that. I want you to kind of understand me. Now, when you mess up and do me wrong, I don't care. I don't want to hear any of that. I'm going to pay you back. Well, wait a minute. If I want other people to treat me like that when I've done wrong, maybe I should treat them like that when they've done wrong. You know, when we live by the golden rule, it does two things. It'll set us apart from the rest of the people in our culture who don't live by the golden rule. They live by their own rules that says, I will do you like you've done me. I may even do it before you get a chance to do it to me. And when they see us living like Jesus taught us, it sets us apart. And it sets us free. It'll set you apart from other people and it will set you free from bitterness and, and unforgiveness and a life where you have given your joy away to other people who have wronged you. And you're miserable. Living according to Jesus' golden rule sets you free. You'll never regret it. So don't Write a regrettable story. Do like Abigail. Write a remarkable story. Return good for evil. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, I want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, in the stillness of this moment, we confess to you. The golden rule is logical. It's just not natural to us. It makes sense, but it's hard. Even is easy. Doing unto others as we would have them do unto us is hard. And we confess that today. And we confess that without you helping us, we are not going to be able to live like this. And we thank you that we don't have to try in our own strength. That you have promised to help us, to strengthen us, to give us a guide and an example, and to give us the power we need to live like you would have us to live. And we thank you for your grace and your mercy that you show to us. Give us the strength and the courage and the faith in you to take a little of that grace you've given us and to share it with somebody else, especially those who have done us wrong. Father, that'll change our marriages. It'll change the way kids look at their parents. 
It'll change the way parents respond to their kids. It'll change how we put our post on social media. It'll change how we treat someone of a different political persuasion. It'll change our attitude towards someone who lives in a lifestyle that we know is not of God. Because God, we can't control them. We can't control when people do us wrong. But we, by your power, through your example, trusting in you, we can choose to return good for evil. We thank you for the example of Jesus who did that as he stretched out his arms on a cross and he shed his blood and he gave up his life for us sinful, evil people. And rather than giving us what we deserve, he gave us grace and mercy and your love. And just as your love is changing us, it can change others through us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.